this is Cindy Briggs, and I'm sitting here on my couch with Ren Wilson, who is an artist, a graphic designer, a pet professional, an all-around outstanding human being. Uh, and with us is my dog, Daisy, and we're hoping that she will um, keep herself on mute for the next few minutes while we talk. And so I'm here to talk to Ren today because we recently got into a conversation about um, financial responsibility and success and abundance and how important it is for people who are working in professions that are um, historically underpaid to learn how to manage their money in a way that is not just responsible but results in um, a higher degree of uh, sense of empowerment and a sense of place in the world. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so, um, hello, Ren. Hello. How are you? Good. Fantastic. So if you don't mind just starting with uh, maybe a little description about you just graduated college in the past couple of years and how you came to the realization that you really wanted to take charge of your financial well-being mm -hmm. and talk a little bit about how that happened for you because I think that's a great story. Okay. Well, I'm 23 years old. I should definitely mention that. And I don't come from um, a family with a lot of money. And uh, I guess my main dream when I was in college was to not have to move home and to be able to stay here where I want to live. And I was able to achieve that dream because I made a point to become financially literate enough to save up enough that I could have a big cushion so that I would be ready for whatever life would throw at me. I, I like the dream of not moving home. I think <laughs> that that's really important. And can you talk a little bit about why, I guess, why emotionally and psychologically that was really important for you? Why did that feel like a really important thing for you to accomplish for yourself, to not move home? Well, for one thing, if you look at the media today, they're constantly bashing people of my generation, you know, yeah. millennials or whatnot, whatever the buzzword is, um, or lazy and they live at home with their parents. And well, being independent was very important for me. And I kind of come from the unemployment capital of Virginia and I wanted to stay here, I guess. Um, but after college, right after college, I went into AmeriCorps Vista, mm. which is a service program not terribly unlike the Peace Corps, except for less hardcore, if you will, but it essentially forces you into poverty. And so as soon as I got into that, I made a point to get very financial literate, financially literate, because they said, if you can get through this and be okay, then you can get through most any financial situation. I really respect what you just said about the whole millennial generation about, you know, um, I think a lot of the cultural assumptions people make that Millennials are, oh, they're all moving back home, they're not responsible, they're not grown-ups, and I really hate whenever we assign those big labels mm -hmm. to generations, because they're not accurate. It's silly. It's going to happen again in another 20 years. Mm -hmm. I think that every generation looks at its young people and uh, has foreboding predictions about them. I mean, imagine what they said in the 70s. Oh, these stoner kids, they got, you know. Um, but, you know, that, you know, some people, it is a reality for them that if they are fortunate enough, they do financially feel that they need to move back in with their parents. So mm -hmm. I don't want to bash anyone who does have to do that, but I was just hell-bent on not moving yeah. back home. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that, besides building up financial a financial safety net, a lot of that is building up a social safety net and a web of connections of people who can help you out in mm -hmm. various ways. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you've opened up a really, I think, a big important piece of this whole conversation is that um, resources aren't just financial. Mm -hmm. And I think we get really focused on dollars in the bank, which is important, certainly, mm -hmm. but 
But the resources we have outside of that are really essential too. And you've done a really phenomenal job of just being super involved in the community. And I think as a result, you've um, a lot of work and a lot of um, employment opportunities have come your way because mm-hmm. people know you and they've come to know you as a person. Do you think that's true for? Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I have sort of pet sitting business and it, I've gotten clients entirely through word of mouth with no advertising and mm-hmm. I have a pretty decent client base these days. And same with artwork and graphic design commissions. You know, just people will call me up and ask me to do things and if I can do them, I'll do them. Yeah, yeah. What do you feel like is the key to your your networkness? Like, how did you get started getting really hooked on the community? Um, what steps did you take? What recommend, recommendations would you make to people who are really wanting to get established and get that kind of word of mouth going for mm-hmm. themselves? Well, I mean, in college, I was very involved on campus and into extracurricular activities, and we made a point to connect our college organizations with outside things. So that was sort of the beginning. But honestly, I'd say most of my connections have come as a result of volunteering with causes that I care about. Um, For instance, I've met through this group, Imagination Installations. I met you, Dr. Cindy Briggs. Right on. And all kinds of fabulous people. I was able to land a very low-rent, fabulous house just through like talking to people from this volunteer organization and same with several different causes all around town. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. I think one thing um, I know for me as a counselor and I'm a teacher um, and I'm a writer, all of those things are surprisingly isolated professions. Mm-hmm. Like as a teacher, I spend time in front of a classroom with my students but not very much time with other professionals. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy for me to get, I mean, I've done it today. Like I have just been kind of dinking around my apartment today, did some writing, I made a little bit of art. Um, I haven't really left the apartment. It's really easy to get into that Mm -hmm. sort of um, just hermity, stay at home or that isolated mindset. And I think Mm -hmm. for artists, it's the same thing. And to take yourself out of that and contribute back to the community in some way, I think has a good, I mean, just it's good karma for Mm -hmm. one thing, but it also gives you an opportunity to really, let people see who you are. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, you've, you've probably heard the saying, uh, something like 90% of success is showing up, mm-hmm. the old adage. I think that's true. I, I mean, I think you build social capital just by being out in the community and being seen right. the right places. You know, I mean, personally, I have my little Google Calendar, and once a month I have my day that I look on all the different places, um, pages, to see what events are coming up, you know, like the local museum, the libraries, um, just groups that I'm involved with will have events, and I just put them all on my little calendar, and if I'm available, I'll go. Yeah, that is a great idea. I love that, being intentional about looking ahead and seeing what seems like it's a good fit for you, a good place for you to be. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned that you volunteer with organizations that align with your passions. Mm -hmm. So it's not about, you know, being cheesy and sort of, just going to everything, and and I think we've all met people like that that oh, just yeah. seem to be there for their own benefit. But you really try to choose things that you feel like will benefit others as well, and that's an important mm-hmm. part of what you do. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. When you graduated college, talk to me about how you became financially literate. How did that process work for you, and what recommendations you make? And you recommended a book to me once, which I've forgotten. So talk a little bit about that. Oh, yes. Well, I, I had some downtime at work in between we were when we were, like, finding out if we had permission to do certain things with what was coming up at the project. And so, you know, knowing that I was going to have to survive um, on what the government deems as below poverty budget, it was something like $4 an hour. Wow. Um, 
I just got online and went to some of my favorite educational websites, educational-ish websites like Lifehacker and whatnot, mm -hmm. and I found this great blog called The Simple Dollar, whose tagline is like, financial talk for the rest of us, and that hit home because, you know, it, it, as a beginner, you, you try to learn about anything financial, and there's all this jargon that you don't even understand, and you just feel, oh, I'm so overwhelmed, but... Yeah. That particular blog was a great starting point, mm -hmm. um, and it led me to, I think the book you're thinking about is, um, it's called Your Money or Your Life mm -hmm. by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez, I think is their names. Um, it was really big in the 90s, and so the premise is called Your Money or Your Life, and it's like, if a, if a robber came to you right now and pointed a gun at your face, mm -hmm. you know, would you choose your money or your life? But mm -hmm. it's really asking you to think about how you prioritize your time. Yeah. So, you know, your money or your life, your time. Mm -hmm. So would you allow a job that you hate that sucks all the life out of you just for money? To just really think about what money means, what money is, and it gave me great perspective on how to think about money. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I think that's so important. I think one thing that um, I think a lot of people who enter artistic fields or enter helping fields, one of the messages I got a lot, especially early on, was this attitude um, of, you know, you know, we're not here for the money. We're really here for the kids. We're really here to help people. But what I saw around me was a lot of people who were really stressed out and really burned out mm -hmm. and not making a real livable income. And it felt like exactly what you described, like people's priorities had gotten kind of skewed mm -hmm. and they had lost sight of um, the fact that money is not just green pieces of paper in your wallet. Mm -hmm. Money isn't greed. Those are all emotional qualities that we assign to it. Mm -hmm. Really, money is, you know, the reward we get, the energy flow we get back for the work we do in the world. Exactly. That's that's what the book that I'm talking about says. Mm -hmm. Money is just something that you exchange your time and energy for and gives you capabilities. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And gives you a chance. It gives you some freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that the financial tip, um, like just learning, coming into it that you'll get from anywhere, but which is really so true and so important, is this principle of pay yourself first. Mm -hmm. Like whenever you get paid, like whenever you get a certain amount of money, set aside a percentage of it for yourself and tuck it away into a savings account. Right. You know, building up a rainy day fund in case, heaven forbid, something unexpected will happen and of course unexpected things will happen your car will break down you will break your arm you never know what's going to happen there mm -hmm. and today with the internet it's easier than ever because you can sign up with certain banks online banks with higher interest rates let me mention that that's one of my financial tips yes if you're going to sign up for a savings account get one with an online bank because they can hi they can um, offer much higher interest rates than brick-and-mortar institutions. Yeah, that's a great one. And some of them, like um, the one that I have, will offer automatic savings plan to where you can set it, set up a um, sort of algorithm to where every month it'll take, or even weekly, it'll take this much out of your checking account and mm -hmm. put it into a savings account. Mm -hmm. That's a great tip. And before we started the recording, we were talking about um, a 
a frustration I've had when I read traditional finance books, they talk a lot about things like checkbooks mm -hmm. and balancing your checkbook and how, how irrelevant that seems with everything being online. Mm -hmm. And I think similarly, sort of a more old school way of looking at banking is that it all has to be done in a bank mm -hmm. that has a building on the corner versus an online bank. And I use a lot of online banking. I do a lot of online investing. And um, I don't do a lot. That sounded a little bit expansive, mm -hmm. a little more expansive than I am. But, um, but this idea that the bank doesn't have to physically exist in your town mm -hmm. to benefit from it. And you're even saying that there are additional benefits from using online banking, which I think are important to consider. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I do think it's good to have a connection with a bank where you can go and you know, withdraw or input cash. Yeah, yeah. But there's other options available as well. Absolutely. Other, other tips or other things that you've done um, from a financial perspective that you feel like have really benefit you, giving you that sense of freedom and empowerment in the world. Mm -hmm. What else have you done? Well, I think that um, it's important to consider budgeting sites such as uh, mint.com where you can really uh, pull together like where you're spending your credit card, where you're spending your debit card, you know, um, if you have loans, how much do you have to pay, when's your bill coming, just so that you can look at your individual transactions from everywhere and really get a sense of where your money is going right oh um i think a lot of young people don't pay that much attention to their credit score and they may not necessarily understand how important that can be yeah. and if there are so many scammy things out there like talking about how you can get a free credit report and yeah. monitoring your credit and a lot of them really are not free even though they say it in their name right however there are some new websites where you can find out your credit score for free and the way that they're able to they're powered by like Experian I think the the main credit reporting agencies and they're able to offer the services for free by um, suggesting Suggesting other credit cards that you could take, but you can find out a fairly accurate representation of what your credit score is. Right. Um, the two main sites that I know about right now are creditkarma.com okay. and creditsesame.com, and both of which will like take a pretty good look at your credit score and will give you suggestions on what you can do to improve it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, speaking of credit, since you brought the C word. Um, <laughs> Credit cards, how do you, how, you know, what thoughts do you have about our relationship to credit cards and how people use credit cards? Because credit card debt seems to still be mm -hmm. exploding, even though it's maybe gone down in the past few years. It still mm -hmm. seems like people use their credit cards and carry that balance. And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people use credit cards for emergency uh, purposes, and I would caution you not to do that. Mm -hmm. and caution you to make sure you build up an emergency fund within a savings account. Um, my personal philosophy is I always never ever spend more on credit than I have in my checking account. Mm -hmm. You know, I I make sure I have that money before I ever spend it. And actually, I only use my credit card to build credit, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, if you search around and you find a good rewards card, you can be making money from spending money. You just have to not get carried away with it, right. you know get that little psychological justification of, oh, well, I'm making money, so I can spend a little more, yeah. you know. I'm getting points. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The points aren't worth that much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I got online, and I, like, did as thorough, like, three days of research to try to figure out which card I should be getting for yeah. rewards, and so I picked one. Yeah. So the big message I'm getting from you, and I, I, I just want to say this explicitly, you, um, you wanted to educate yourself, and I think the mm -hmm. education piece is really key. And I know for me, um, 
I never had a business class. I never took an entrepreneurship class. I never took a finance class. Mm-hmm. I took calculus instead, which was super not helpful. <laughs> um, but I never got educated formally on any of this stuff. And mm-hmm. I think, um, like you were saying, when I first started, when I got out of college and I started researching things like retirement funds, it was so confusing to me. I didn't mm-hmm. understand principal. I didn't understand interest. When I started looking at houses, I didn't understand escrow or how insurance worked. I didn't understand any of that. And it got so overwhelming, I got freaked out, so I stopped paying attention to it. And mm. yeah, that, and that's the dangerous part. So I think recognizing that, you know, getting a book, starting to do research, take a deep breath, bring the anxiety down, and educate yourself. Yeah, and the earlier you get educated about these things, the better off you are. Like, once you learn about things like compound interest, it can make all the difference in your financial mm-hmm. future. Uh, in college, I went to a lecture that was in a dorm by uh, some finance professor, and he talked about his little bedtime story to think about at night, and it told the story of these two college students, one of whom, um, for the first 10 years um, out of college, she just partied so hard and had a great time, and then her friend, first year out of college, just worked really hard, like, worked really, really hard for 10 years, Mm -hmm. and it went on to show that after 20 years, the friend who had initially partied hard decided to like get her life on track and mm-hmm. give her money, become financially responsible or whatnot. Yeah. And then the girl who, for the first 10 years or whatever, had been very, very responsible, just cut loose and went on vacations all the time and had a great time. And at the end, after 30 years, the girl who had initially partied was just like, still financially hurt and like she was doing okay but Mm -hmm. the other girl who had just been partying still had way more money because of the power of compound interest exactly exactly and so you know my my example of that when I was about 26 um, I had a friend who encouraged me to start saving for retirement Mm -hmm. and at the time, I was in grad school, so I didn't have uh, an employer who was contributing to retirement. You didn't have anything but ramen noodles in I, grad school. I stood alone. <laughs> um, and so what I remember from that time was, I'm 26. I'm not going to retire for like four years. Why should I bother? But I started putting $50 away into a Roth IRA. And um, that pattern, I'm not going to say that $50 a month made, has made me a millionaire. It hasn't. But that pattern of saving starting early has really put me in a very comfortable place with regard to my retirement. Exactly. Yeah, and I can say now I'm 41 now, and I look at my retirement and, and how it, every every like few weeks I have several thousand more dollars. And I'm like, holy crap, and I, I'm not putting it in. It's just compound interest. Now I'm really seeing the sweet spot of that and how amazing that is, and it's just going to keep growing and growing. So the earlier you start, the better off you are in the yeah. long run. Aren't you glad you listen to your friend? Let me ask you this, since you are an entrepreneurial person, you've made a choice to apply your skills and your interests in the world outside of a traditional 40-hour-a-week job. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how, just, I know this is a very big question, it could be like a three-hour conversation, mm-hmm. but, but why that choice, and how did you get started in deciding um, what you wanted to do, how to price yourself, just I don't know, where'd the moxie come from to just take that stuff out and, and do it on your own versus looking for a traditional job or getting a traditional job? Well, you know, all that could change, but I don't know. Um, growing up, I come from a small town in Virginia that was a, very much a textile town, factory town. My parents 
came from low-income families. Actually, they met each other, uh, I think, because they were living in the same trailer park. Mm -hmm. And their dream for me was to be able to go to college and get the education that they never got and to be able to do whatever I wanted to do. So they weren't very happy when I decided to be an art major, but um, <laughs> I guess they had to have faith in me that I would be okay. Yeah. Um, and just growing up, they both had, uh, if not the same job my entire life, very similar jobs, and both of them just hated their jobs, hated them. And it was heartbreaking for me because they would just talk about how much they hated their jobs, and I thought, I just want a job that doesn't suck the life out of me, you know, and the, the world is changing today. The, in, in their time, my parents' time, you'd get with a company and you'd stay with them for life. They, they would expect loyalty and you would get benefits. And now it's harder and harder as a young person to find a job with benefits. And um, so I did some soul searching actually while I was reading that book, Your Money or Your Life, and it talks about, you know, how much of your time do you want to exchange for money? Had an alluring little bit that I'm not sure how much I put faith in that talked about how our ancestors didn't work nearly as much as we did. Mm -hmm. Like if scientists look back on hunter-gatherer tribes and how supposedly they spent uh, like three, four hours a day working, hunting and gathering, the rest of the time socializing. Yeah. Which I don't know if, if you could get away with that today, yeah. but it's a nice thought to yeah. not have to just work. Oh, all that much, but since I did start fairly early in college working several part-time jobs and saving up money, I was able to have enough of a cushion that I feel okay for a while, at least working my one part-time job and then my several sort of freelance-type jobs. Right. I don't know if, if things get financially going downhill, I might consider looking into more Mm -hmm. Full-term, full-time, traditional employment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the two, the two big things you said, I think, that are really key is you, you took responsibility for the freedom you wanted to have in the future, mm -hmm. and you decided I'm going to make sure that my future self has the leeway to be creative in mm -hmm. the way you approach work. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing you mentioned was just my dog is climbing on Ren. I just wanted to. Just identify that graphically. But, um, she's so soft and fluffy. She's so soft and fluffy. Um, but then the other thing you mentioned is following your heart and mm -hmm. looking at your parents. And I, I had a very similar story with my parents. Um, mm -hmm. My mom was a teacher. My dad had a small business. And I think they sort of felt some fondness for the work they chose, but it was a it was a grind. They didn't mm -hmm. look forward to Monday. Mm -hmm. And I remember the same thing that I want to feel. I want to wake up and feel excited about what I'm doing, mm -hmm. not dread it every single day or dread it every single week. And so freedom for your future self, but also following your heart and mm -hmm. making sure you're doing what you're passionate about and you love. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I don't have any illusions that, you know, there's some magical job that we're all chasing where, you know, it's going to be so fulfilling all the time. You know, work is work for a reason. But I think that it, it shouldn't be something that sucks the life out of you, you right. know, at the at the end of the day, you shouldn't feel just so tired that you don't want to do anything. You should feel at least somewhat energized. I don't know. Right. Well, um, as we wrap up, is there anything 
anything left that's kind of rattling around that you would like to say about, you know, um, fiscal intelligence, fiscal responsibility, entrepreneurship, anything else that feels important to, to share with people you really like people to know about that? I just think it's important to make the choice to take control of your finances. You know, I think that it's not terribly uncommon, the defense mechanism of just not paying that much attention to it because, you know, it's boring, but it doesn't have to be boring. And something that plays such a key role in how your future can play out is something that is important to dedicate time to learn about. Mm -hmm. And there are so many financial philosophies, depending, I guess, upon who you're reading from or whatnot. But I think you just have to find what works for you. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things um, for me, because so much of the work I do is very abstract, it's all, it's very thinky, I write or I teach. You know, it's things that don't result in a concrete outcome. Mm -hmm. And once a month, actually on the 15th, because that's when I get paid um, for the, a couple of the major jobs that I do every month. I sit down and I um, go ahead and I pay all my bills for the month. I see what's left over. Um, and, and that actually for me is a really satisfying exercise. Because mm -hmm. it's one thing every month that's totally concrete. At the end of the time, I can see exactly what I have. Mm -hmm. And it feels really fulfilling. And a couple of my own personal just spiritual practices with money is I give away money every single month. And it mm -hmm. doesn't matter how lean things are. Mm -hmm. It might be $5 or $10. But I give away some money every single month intentionally. The other thing I do when I'm doing my financial, you know, book balancing every month mm -hmm. is I have a little card that has I love money written on it. <laughs> and it's just to remind me of uh, I love, you know, what's, look at this abundance coming into my life. Look what I already have. Mm -hmm. So I'm not focusing on, you know, oh, God, I've only got $300 left to pay for groceries. I don't focus on that. I focus on how much I do have mm -hmm. and how I am able to be self-sufficient mm -hmm. and how I am saving still, even when it's lean. And that, for me, is very freeing. It really makes the whole practice feel a lot less arduous. That's fabulous. Yeah. And I have a suggestion for you. Please. So at the end of the month, when you're looking at all these different categories of your expenses, I would consider taking a moment to write, like, how fulfilled, like, how much it improved your life to spend this money and this much money in this particular area. And then think, next month, I'd like to spend more on this. Or next month, I'd like to spend less on this. That's one of those tips from that book that I keep talking about. Um, and um, you know what? My point that I forgot that I wanted to yes, make please. is, you know, this doesn't, my advice would be, you don't have to have a job that you love. You just have to have a job that balances out with what you give it, your time, your energy mm -hmm. of yourself. And no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're doing, there's always some way that you can learn more and improve yourself. Mm -hmm. And you never know when what you're learning, what skills you'll pick up, can be valuable in something else down the line. I mean, it, it, as a young person, I've been amazed to see how interdisciplinary things can be and how something that you can learn over here can later come back in a totally unexpected way onto something else down the line. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's so important. I think a lot of us feel like, well, if I'm not doing the perfect job, mm -hmm. I'm failing, or I have to get out. And I think if you can get in that mindset mm -hmm. of thinking in terms of what can I learn from this, uh, maybe it's not perfect, but what is the lesson here for me to learn right now mm -hmm. uh, is really important. 
And the other, another book I'll recommend, um, and I'm going to throw all these links up on the web as well, uh, it's called The Artist in the Office, and I'll show it to you when we're done. But um, it talks about, for people who are more artistically oriented or creatively oriented, who do have more traditional jobs, who feel frustrated by that, you know, we get in this mindset like, I need time to make art, I need time to write. But really, you have all the time you need. And it talks about ways you can sort of um, spend your time at work to feel like you're fulfilling your creative gifts, mm -hmm. even if you're sitting behind a desk um, working as a receptionist at a bank. There's still ways that you can exercise your creativity. So it's what you take from it. It's also what you bring to it. Like, what do you show up with, and how are you participating with work, even if it's not your perfect job? So well said. Very well said. So that's a great note to end on. Thank you so much, Ren Wilson. Thank you, Dr. Yeah. I really appreciate it. And um, I'm going to post uh, information about how to reach Ren and how to access her site so that um, you can also hire her. She's a fabulous person, and um, I can highly recommend you, both as a pet professional but also as a designer. Um, and I'm also going to post all the links for all the information that we talked about today so you can find it yourself. Thanks very much. Thank you.